Shelton. It's Dainer and Jane. Today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. Paul Dainer Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic, working for you. How are we doing, Jay? Oh, doing great. Re- really looking forward to this game. It, it's it seems like this week is kind of dragging because it's you know it's it, as fun as football is. It's still work for us, and but this week it's it, you you almost kind of get that giddiness that fans get because I think it's going to be such an exciting matchup and so intriguing on how they're going to play it. And I just I'm just really really eager to get to Sunday, but I don't want to jump ahead either because Friday is going to be fun as well. Friday will be fun as well, and uh, UC fans obviously excited for that. Alabama, New Year's Eve, get through your hangover, and then the Bengals are here <laughs> on Sunday against the Chiefs, a ton on the line. Bengals can clinch the AFC North with a victory over the far and away favorite to win the AFC. Chiefs who have won eight in a row um, and are every bit that team that we thought they would be at the beginning of the year. We didn't think they would get – to this place, the, by the way, they did, looking so poor early in the season. Uh, but they're there now, and that's all that really matters is uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the defense have it all humming there, and they look like the favorites to get to the Super Bowl. The Bengals get them in their house, and uh, a chance for uh, a signature win to end all signature wins for Joey B., uh, for sure, if they could pull something like that off. Um, we got a lot to get to in regards to that game. We're going to be very game-heavy today, as you might imagine, because it's a really interesting one. Before we get started on that, uh, remind you, we have a, our holiday deal is going through New Year's Eve. So as you're counting down, like 10, 9, you have to be realizing, oh my gosh, I forgot to subscribe to The Athletic. So run and get your subscription in the deal because it's just $24 for the year, which breaks down to $2 a month. Uh, it's If you missed the Black Friday deal, this is the last chance to get on a really good deal before we turn over to the new year. So uh, you have until then to subscribe, and you can get in and asking questions in the live room, read all of our content, all of Justin Williams' content, uh, everything across all the sports, Premier League, you name it. We've got all that for you um, at The Athletics. So get in there now with that. Uh, we have some news to get to, including – uh, a little bit of merry-go-round in the linebacker room. We try to figure out what's going on there. Some award talk. Um, there was one particular graph that I want to read to you from a story this week on our site that I think is really important. Playoff scenarios, which we talked about on Tuesday, but another update to those. Um, Jay's got stats, of course. Our good friend in Kansas City, Nate Taylor, will join us to give us the insight on everything going on with the Chiefs, uh, who, you know, are – who they are, and uh, but there's a, a lot of how they got here to talk about there. Um, and then we're going to talk about how do you beat Kansas City? How do the Bengals beat Kansas City? What is the method? We The Bengals team that can win many different ways, right? We've talked a lot about that this year. What is the way that they should approach this team? I put up a offer for questions for a mailbag this week, and there was about five or six questions that were basically that. How, do, how, how should they do this? <laughs> Very carefully, I believe. <laughs> Proceed with caution if you look at a team like this that's as hot as they are. Um, but we're going to kind of dive into that. Of course, we'll have Growler. Um, 
Only two prongs this week on the growler. <laughs> Much easier. We're backing off the four prong growler that we had last <laughs> week. So uh, run past our boot, and then we'll have predictions and all of that as we get going. So lots to get to. Let's start. Uh, news. The big news that kind of came out Wednesday was Jermaine Pratt went to the COVID reserve list. I mean, this linebacker room has just been blown away. Jermaine Pratt was kind of the one holding it together barely. And now he goes out as, as he reports COVID symptoms goes to the reserve list, even under the new policy of five days. And then you can come back. Um, it's still a day too late uh, because he tested positive on Wednesday. So his fifth day would be Monday. So unless he tests out between now and then, back-to-back tests 24 hours apart that are negative, Jermaine Pratt will not play on Sunday. So bad news, right? Well, good news. Guess who was back as a full participant on Wednesday? (laughs) Miracle healing. Miyagi showed up, slapped his hands together and rubbed them together onto Logan Wilson's shoulder. And suddenly Logan Wilson feeling a little better, at least to the point they're optimistic about him maybe coming back on Sunday after missing the last three games with that shoulder injury. I mean, to go from very doubtful on Monday to full participant on Wednesday is pretty remarkable. Well, you know, when Zach said in the press conference Wednesday that they would have they would have Logan out there running around, I thought for sure we would see him as limited on the injury report. I think that's a a really good sign that he was able to go full. Now maybe it was a maybe it was a light practice. We don't get to see what they're doing after the the media viewing period ends and that's mainly during stretching and special teams. But and Zach also said it was Logan's miracle recovery was not related to Jermaine Pratt going on on the COVID list, but you you have to think it is in some regard, because this is all about how he feels and, and, and what he thinks he can play through. And, you know, it's, it's one thing when you go down and, and you're watching other guys go in and play for you, but to see them in, I mean, it would be dire straits if, if Logan and Pratt can't go. So I, I think that may have nudged Logan a little bit just to get out there faster, see what he could do. And yeah, by all account, him going full, it, it, it feels like they are going to have him on Sunday. Clay Johnston and Keandre Jones are offended by your statement, Jay. Well, Dire I don't know how they could be. They're people, too. <laughs> They're just not that great at football. Uh, and they've never played a snap. No. Well, Keandre um, has played special teams, but the, none of these guys, you know, none of these guys outside Marcus Bailey that would be in the in line to get snaps have have played much football at all and you're going to throw them in against the most explosive offense in the nfl that's dicey yes i mean let's play when you play out the logan wilson thing um you know look they they did not put him on ir which meant they thought there was a chance on an optimistic timeline he could come back for what was going to be viewed as that massive game against baltimore understandable risk they took we talked about that before it did not pay off for them uh so but at least you know you understand where the timeline was where this is not outside of the realm that he could be back by this week and and you know zach taylor sort of said look i I was kind of staying conservative, and it's understandable, right? You, 
especially against Kansas City, you're not going to be playing a ton of linebackers anyway. They're they're as pass heavy as any team in the league. So you're going to be out there in in extra DBs. You're going to be playing the hybrid safety, Ricardo Allen, Trey Flowers type in those in a lot of those extra linebacker spots. This isn't like one of those games where you even have two linebackers out there all the time. You know, you you can go out there and have Pratt and Ricardo Allen and Mike Hilton and and that and be in that setup, you know, or or even now you've got four corners, right? Trey Waynes can come out there and play mm-hmm. and you can be out there with four corners that you like you if, if you want to go that route too. And so when you can do that, you just need one. And it's like let's just make sure that you can then definitely have 100% of Logan Wilson for that game against Cleveland in case we need it. And if you clinch, you can get Wilson totally fresh all the way to the other side um, for the playoffs. I, I I get that. Pratt goes out, and it becomes, okay, maybe we need to just drop that conservative timeline, and if Logan Wilson wants to go and can go, let's see what that looks like. And so I think it's sort of like, yes, it's it's ridiculous to say that Pratt's injury, did, you know, leaving didn't change this. Um but I just think it changed your perspective on his return less so than maybe what he actually is health wise. Yeah. And I mean, that's a great point about going light there. Marcus Bailey actually played pretty well last week. It was his, he had eight, eight sacks. It was his first career start. So if if you have Wilson and he's not a hundred percent, you have Marcus Bailey, you feel a little bit better about it. I, and it's, I, I kind of see, I, I mean, early in the week last week, Zach pretty much ruled Wilson out for Baltimore. I think on Monday he, he said doubtful. Um, and then to come back with a very doubtful this week, you know, maybe it's part of it is being conservative. Part of it's not wanting to tip off the Chiefs, but he's he's been burned so many times by injury timelines. I, I, I thought, you know, he would kind of shy away from that unless it was a certainty and, and to come out and say very doubtful it, it did it sounded bleak but I don't think anybody's complaining at this point if you root for the Bengals I mean it's crazy to think that coaches might lie in press conferences <laughs> there's a number of different gamesmanships you could look at maybe the first one was the gamesmanship to make Kansas City think that Logan Wilson wouldn't be playing right. maybe the second one is gamesmanship to make them think now that Logan Wilson's going to be playing <laughs> so they don't have a game plan that's directly based on exposing these linebackers either way uh, I guess we'll all find out come Sunday that's the situation there um, Khalid Kareem back from his concussion as a full mm-hmm. participant uh, Cam Sample out so kind of just flopped those two guys of course Khalid Kareem gave you some pretty important snaps against Denver so there's some confidence there that he could come out and do that again Jalen Davis was out so a special teams knock there at the back of your corner room but again they're very deep at corner right now uh, when you consider it. I mean they had J- they had Vernon Hargraves inactive last week they've got Trey Waynes just kind of sitting there as a backup I mean that's uh, an okay room to take a hit I would expect DJ Reader be a back off the COVID reserve night the reserve list um in the next few days if not by the time you're listening to this uh he went on before the last game so likely he'll be back I wouldn't expect him to miss this one uh also Mike Thomas back off the reserve list and Xavier Suofilo reactivated we haven't seen him in a long time and they're going to try to get him in the mix. He's designated to return at this point, so no, no guarantee that he will be activated off that, back onto the 53, but he's back in the mix as an option, probably as a backup, I would assume, uh, at guard if necessary. So 
Maybe we see him back in the mix. Uh, AFC Special Teams Player of the Month, Skinny <laughs> Evan. Skinny Evan, AFC Offensive Special Teams Player of the Month. Good for him. Uh, and he had a couple of 50-plus yarders, including the 58-yarder in Denver. Uh, 9 of 11 on his field goals for the month. He's He's been great all year. Um, also, more awards, Jay. It's awards season. A lot of them for Joey B, as you might imagine. Yeah. AFC Offensive Player of the Week. FedEx Air Player of the Week. And, of course, most importantly, Nickelodeon's Most Valuable Player, the MVP. <laughs> uh, congratulations to him. All the slime to Joey B. This was perfect timing because I think it might have been around the bye week at, at some point uh, about a month or so ago. This is going to surprise some people, but I made a spreadsheet and I went back through history and I have I I looked up every single Bengals player that was named a player of the week or a player of the month. So I was able to quickly put Evans player of the month in perspective. He is the the first Bengals special teams player of the month since your lookalike Josh Brown uh, won it in December 2012 with the game-winning kick against Pittsburgh that sent the Bengals to the playoffs. And he's only the fourth one in team history. Mike Nugent did it in 2010, and Brandon Bennett did it in 2002. So uh, very rare for Bengals to get a special teams player of the month. Josh Brown, uh, most handsome kicker in NFL history. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, not a good guy. No, no, not a good guy. Um, all right, so we've got all of that. I mean, and by the way, like, could you imagine if Nickelodeon would not have given Joe Burrow <laughs> in the Krusty Krab sweatshirt post game the Nickelodeon the MVP? I mean, I, I think Joe really wanted to make sure he solidified that, and yeah. that's why he wore the Krusty Krab sweatshirt to make sure that he got that MVP award. Cause Jamar chase out there walking around with his MVP trophy, you know, flaunting his Nickelodeon connection. <laughs> Joe said, I'll, I'll show you, I'll go throw for five twenty five and throw on some SpongeBob gear. If he didn't get it, he would have tweeted SpongeBob the way he tweeted wink Martindale. It would, <laughs> it would have pissed him off and the, and Nickelodeon would have paid. <laughs> All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Jay's got a story on kind of what Sunday could mean for the Bengals beyond just an AFC North title. Uh, I highly recommend going and reading that. I have a story up on T. Higgins and a little bit inside, not just how good he's been, but kind of the driving force behind the quiet guy amongst this trio of receivers and how people forget how good he's actually been. All those stories you can go read. Um, again, uh, recommend the subscription deal if you're not a subscriber. If you are a subscriber, thank you. Also, Shilkapadia, one of our national guys, was writing, uh, you know, he does his, his normal look at a, a bunch of different things across the league, and one of them was on Burrow. He had one paragraph when talking about Joe Burrow and what we've seen from him to this point that just struck me, and I, and it's something we talk about a lot here and I think we try to bring in the way that we approach this podcast and we approach f- covering football. And I know Mo feels the same way when we bring him on. We talk with him a lot about this. I just want to read you this paragraph. I think it's important to remember. <clears throat> and this is the end of a long section. He said, making a playoff run this season would be amazing for Bengals fans. But big picture, 
Burrow is going to make them relevant and exciting for years to come. Too often in sports, we focus on winning a championship and nothing else. But it's also about enjoying the week-to-week experience, and Burrow's just so much fun. If you're a Bengals fan, you're almost never going to feel like you wasted your time watching him for three hours on a Sunday afternoon, and that's meaningful. You know, Shield, he is not a Cincinnati person. He's not necessarily, you know, closely connected with the team here. I've not really talked to him much. He hit the important aspect of this team right on the head as they are in this process of really now reconnecting with the fan base and bringing them back in and enjoying the week to week experience, man. Cause this team's fun. This team's fun. And, and I do think there's, there's going to be an, uh, a knee jerk reaction if they lose to the chiefs or who knows, if they don't make the playoffs and there should be criticism of why that would happen. But there has to be an understanding of creating a team that's fun to watch that does win big games, that doesn't melt in big moments, and a quarterback that does all of those things. And uh, I think that's I, – that's to me, that should be so much more part of the focus of the sports experience, the fandom experience, and less the irate because they lost or I, failure because they didn't win a championship thing. Uh, I, just, I just think that was, an, uh, that was a great point to make, and um, you can read that in much more in Shields' piece. He did hit the nail on the head, but he also was preaching to the choir a little bit. Cause if there's any fan base that knows it's not all about winning championships, <laughs> it's the, it's the Bengals fans. They're, they're not going to these games because they, I mean, yes, they're hoping that it's going to happen eventually. But I think a lot of, if, if you're a Bengals fan that is still on board, you know that it is kind of about enjoying the journey and, and hoping for greatness while at the same time kind of waiting for that other, that other shoe to fall. But it is, it's, it, win or lose, and I know it's all about winning, but you will not feel like you wasted your money if you went and watched Joe Burrow lead this offense for three hours or whatever a game lasts. It's just, they, even in the games where he hasn't been at his best, they, they figure out a way to kind of make it interesting. The Chargers game, they came back, they should have taken the lead in that one. The, the 49ers game, they come back and take it to overtime. There's, there's, even if it's not three great hours of Joe Burrow, it's going to be really fun at some point in those three hours. And it's going to be, it's going to be worth it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's playing special football, and it's exciting to see how he does against a very good Chiefs defense. Um, official, they kind of released the official playoff scenarios. Um, we talked about those on Tuesday, so I'm not going to dive back into them too much. Uh, but there is a, we kind of have a story up about that now if you want to go take a look. I did want to point out, we talked about ties on Tuesday. Yep. There are lots of tie scenarios. <laughs> tie, just remember this. Just keeps it back in your mind. Tie is a win. It's don't lose. Right. Okay? If you're talking about Sunday, easier said than done. But, I mean, just remember, if this thing goes to overtime, I do think it should affect the way that you view the way the game is called at that point. I mean, you're you're comfortable letting it run down. You're comfortable playing for that tie. A Baltimore loss and a Cleveland-Pittsburgh tie, by the way, on Monday Night Football, which would be the most fitting way for this division to end, the way those other three teams have played all year. Uh, would be a Bengals clinch. But then a Cincinnati tie and a Baltimore loss or tie, but a Cincinnati tie and a Baltimore loss and the, and the Bengals clinch. And then there's like five or there's like a million scenarios where the Bengals tie and some other things happen and they clinch a playoff. 
ties as good as a win for the most part. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, that doesn't wouldn't necessarily fully clinch them, but it's pretty close to as good as a win. Yeah, when you're playing from in front, like the Chiefs and the Bengals are currently atop their divisions, that that is the case. For the teams chasing, it's a little different. It's a tie is not necessarily as good as a win because you need to you need to get that win total up. But if you're already in a position to be in the playoffs, the the tie is advantageous. And so if you have both Bengals and Chiefs, teams that could benefit from a tie, you're right. If this game goes to overtime, we you could see it looking a little more conservative than the last time the Chiefs went to overtime and just zipped right down the field and and stunned the the Chargers. Um, it, it could be a little more run game centric, milk the clock, try to give the other team less opportunities as opposed to attack, attack, attack. We'll talk much more about how to attack the Chiefs in a second. Jay, you've got stats, though. The Bengals have still not won three consecutive games since 2015, um, yes. which is wild. And you know, they've had multiple shots at it this year. It's kind of become now this latest thing. Like they've, they've conquered so many of these historical issues, these historical trends over the course of this year, whether it was primetime, whether it was Pittsburgh, whether it was Baltimore, whether – there was a number of different things we've seen them tick off. Winning record now. Uh, now the latest is, okay, you guys can win two games in a row, but you can't stack them to the third one. Jay, you've got some stats on that. Of course you do. Yeah, so you're right. It was 2015 when they started that season 8-0. That's the last time they, they had won three in a row. And I was curious, has anybody had a drought that long? Um, and the answer is no. This is by far the longest in the NFL. The The next longest drought, it was a tie. The The Jaguars won their fourth in a row on November 19th, 2017. And that same day, the Lions won their third in a row, um, November 19th, 2017. So since then, you 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 go back another two-plus two years to find the Bengals last three game win streak. It's just, it, it feels like it's time. It, it, and you've seen it this year, win two, lose two, win two, lose two. It, it, it just feels like they need this game, not just to clinch the division, but to, to, to prove themselves. They can get on a run to prove they can beat an elite team. Just all those reasons. Um, because if, if you don't get it here, then you're waiting until next year to win three in a row playoffs do not count. And I did look to see if the Bengals had ever won three in a row in December. And the last time that that happened was 2012. They had a, a three game winning streak to in December to, to get in and make the wild card. But they, beyond that, they have been pretty rare. And obviously the, the schedule's been backed up. Teams didn't play, used to play as many games. And this is December slash January. But they most of the times when they get on runs in December, 2008, for instance, they won their final three games to finish 4-11-1. They were 1-11-1. They had nothing to play for. And that's what a lot of their December winning streaks have looked like. This one would obviously be so much more meaningful. I mean, insanely more meaningful. I mean, this, this if... if if you're talking about what a real path to the Super Bowl looks like, I mean, if you're if we're gonna have that talk, if we're gonna if we're gonna say, can this team do that? 
it does not happen if they don't either win this game or are just a hair away. You know, they got to show that they're on this level at this point. Because mm-hmm. um, if you do win this game and then you, by all assumption, you probably beat Cleveland next week or maybe you rest guys. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I mean, you now feel like you've won three, four in a row. You're, if you're really hot, you've beaten the Chiefs. There's, there's no team in the league that would feel like they have more momentum. Throw for 525 one week and beat the Chiefs the next. Who, who would feel more invincible than the Bengals at that point if you actually did pull that off? So – yeah, then they are then you feel like okay, Super Bowl is realistic. If you don't, if the Chiefs dispose of you like they have a lot of these teams if they beat you the way they have Dallas or Denver and it's kind of convincing. Um, you know, you say, okay, not not quite there yet and and you're like okay, win a game in the playoffs and and call a success and then you know, fix your fix your warts and come back next year. And so I that's part of the barometer of this game. I think it's I think the real teams, the great teams, the teams that can do things like make Super Bowl runs, do stack them, and they do stack them with signature wins like this one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. If they get this one, and then you get Cleveland, like you said, they might rest players. But you, if you can go into the playoffs on a four-game winning streak, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. They'd have to double their current winning streak to get to four. But you know, I kind of have that quote from Brian Callahan in my story today about what this would mean: is you don't, you don't have to go into the the playoffs on a roll, but it's it's so much more advantageous. If you do, because it it just shows you that you can you can win when it matters. You can beat the teams that that you like the Chiefs that you're going to be facing in the playoffs. Just that psychological advantage, um, the the momentum aspect of it. It it just it changes everything. It really kind of propels you into that run. And yes, everybody says it starts over, clean slate, zero zero, and that is true from a from a mathematical record standpoint, but. Momentum's a real thing and, and and belief. And if they beat the Chiefs, they've got they will have all of that rolling into the Cleveland game and then potentially the playoffs. Many analytical people would tell you and your momentum to take a hike, Jay. They don't believe in momentum. Now, I am certainly not opening an analytical momentum uh can of worms here. Just just saying. Analytics are numbers. Momentum can't be quantified by math. It's it's a oh, feel. That's the problem. I know. If it can't be quantified, then it's not real, Jay. Oh, it is real. <laughs> you see it every game. I mean, every. I'm not sport going there. Watch. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do this. Let's. It, there's a, we, this is a great time to take a break and bring in Nate so we can calm ourselves down. Uh, uh, Nate Taylor does an incredible job covering the Chiefs. Very excited to have him on and talk about how this team looks in comparison to a few of the previous editions that have gone on to the Super Bowl, including winning a championship. So let's bring in our good friend in Kansas City, Nate Taylor. Nate kind of lives in an alternate universe from what uh, people in Cincinnati do. Uh, he, he came from an NBA beat to start covering the Chiefs a few years ago, and he's known nothing but AFC championship games and home playoff games and looks like he's got – a bunch more of that coming up this year. Nate, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm doing great, Jay. Thank you for having me on, fellas. Uh, quite the introduction. Yes, it's <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know, a lot of my family members believe that I am the difference as to why their favorite <laughs> hometown team is 
has uh, has gone to you know three straight AFC Championship games, two consecutive Super Bowls. Uh, you know Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and the rest of the team has sort of figured it out yet again this season. Um, but this is this is a really fun matchup, and I'm I'm super excited that you guys have me on. I want to take you back in time a little bit. I guess it would be ten weeks, um, mm. week seven. The Bengals beat the Ravens to go five and two, and they assume the top seed in the AFC. That same day, the Chiefs get dump trucked by the Titans <laughs> to fall to three and four outside of the picture, the playoff window. And since then, eight in a row. So, what changed for the Chiefs over that time frame? It's a great question, and I'm I'm still trying to figure it out for myself, right? But I'll I'll try to make this simple because it's one of the most remarkable turnarounds in the middle of a season that I've ever seen um, in terms of being a reporter covering that team on a daily basis. Um, Tennessee, I mean, absolutely like just curb stomped them. And it was sort of stunning at the time um, because I remember sort of finishing my story that day for the athletic and asking a really weird question, but like, is this a playoff team? Like they're, they're three and four, their defense was historically bad. Um, I mean, you looked at any statistical category and they were at the bottom. Um, the offense was sort of in this funk just because it was a new offensive line. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had some turnover unluckiness, but he was also sort of forcing the issue, which created to some tip balls that were being intercepted. Just about every skill position player, Jay, fumbled <laughs> in the most <laughs> unopportune time. Um so they were moving up and down the field, but it wasn't translating to points on the scoreboard. And it was that rare moment when every team in the conference, including the Bengals, although they had to wait this late to play the Chiefs, unfortunately, every team in the conference has sort of stepped their game up. Uh, Baltimore had beaten the Chiefs on the you know at home. Uh, this, the Los Angeles Chargers had a victory that felt really impactful at the time because they have a young quarterback in Justin Herbert, similar to the Bengals with Joe Burrow. Um, and look, even the Buffalo Bills who sort of understood and learned how tough it is to get from the AFC championship game to the Super Bowl, they went back to Arrowhead in October and beat the chiefs as well. So every major contender that was on the Chiefs' schedule from the AFC had beaten them. And that was why they were really out of playoff contention uh, there were people wondering if they were going to win the division, me included. Um, and since then, the defense has gotten healthy. Patrick Mahomes has sort of returned to form. I think Andy Reid has sort of shown in a different way why he's a Hall of Fame coach, uh, because that team did not go sideways. They sort of went through the process. I think the NFC, unfortunately, helped the Chiefs because the Chiefs have beaten every NFC team available mm-hmm. to them, including um, having some luck with Aaron Rodgers going from immunized to now he's on the COVID list to Jordan Love having his first start in Arrowhead, which is never a great situation, I think, for any quarterback, no matter their caliber of talent. And then this defense, because they traded for Melvin Ingram, because Chris Jones moved from defensive end back to defensive tackle, it just sort of unlocked their ability to blitz out of luxury instead of necessity. And they started getting more turnovers. It's, it's simple at times, but it's also just wild to think like, oh, the Chiefs were having games where they turned the ball over three or four times and they were still scoring 20 points, but they were losing. And now they're not turning the ball over and they're getting turnovers. And now they're beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in 
a methodical fashion, even though they don't have their entire team intact because of the virus. Um, but Holmes is excellent. It, there's just there's just no way of saying that that the more you show him, what I always try to tell people is similar to Peyton Manning, similar to Tom Brady, he's just gaining all this information. And as soon as he starts to figure out how to get his teammates in the right position, he's going to be accurate with the football. And opponents need turnovers to beat the Chiefs. And Mahomes has gotten even better at not letting that happen. All right, let's just take a quick break. What is the style to to play close? I mean, of late on this eight-game streak and really the last six, I mean, there have been double-digit wins. And then the Chargers came out and moved the ball up and down the field. And we, you know, they were very balanced. You know, they ran it a lot. They ran it efficiently. Four out of the last five teams averaged 4.9 yards per carry against the Chiefs. Is that the style? Is is it you know one that you come in and you just try to be be more physical and and pound the game out or or is it what we've kind of speculated the last few years with this team that oh get in the shootout right like or is that just <laughs> total fool's gold like you're not going to win that way what what do you think is the style to play a competitive game with this version of the Chiefs Yeah it it uh, it had gotten really fun Paul because in September. I had started putting together, uh, you know, a list of what you needed to accomplish to beat the Chiefs. And at the top of the list was come off the bus and score 35. I don't care (laughs) how you do it, (laughs) but like just immediately know you have to score 30. Uh, I said you needed multiple turnovers. Uh, You did need to run the ball, right? You needed to keep the game at a certain tempo so that the Chiefs didn't have the ability to just quick strike at any moment, which is the scary thing, right? They mean, they have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. It's it's an unfortunate um, position for any team to be in, but you have to get pressure on the quarterback with four. That was the thing that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers showed in the Super Bowl last year. It's like, hey, you can't blitz Mahomes. Don't ever blitz that guy. I don't care if it's third and 20. Just send eight back. Don't worry about trying to make him scramble because the moment he extends the play – about 90% of the time, it's never in your advantage if you're the opponent. Um, and so you put these five things together, and then teams started doing those things, which I think uh, goes to the the smarts of all the coachings, you know, looking at the tape. But then you also kind of need the Chiefs to beat the Chiefs. Um, you need them to make mistakes. Uh, they were a team that had a lot of penalties early in the year. Obviously, we talked about they were having sort of these tip passes or these, oh, my God, did he just fumble the ball? you know, when it looked like there wasn't a really big hit. Um, and look, they need, you need, mo- you need swings and momentum. So to answer the question now, if the Bengals can even push the Chiefs, I find it to be a massive success because I think the Bengals are ahead of schedule. Joe Burrow, I've looked on these last few games, Phyllis. I mean, the dude just loves completions. Like he doesn't <laughs> like, some teams are like, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball on the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are like, that's fine, because we'll predict that we can hold you to three, and then Patrick will go out there and get a seven, and we'll see where, they, where we are at the end of the scoreboard. Um, it's, it's wild that you need multiple turnovers. You need a quarterback who can obviously go toe-for-toe and be willing to make some daring completions himself. And strangely enough, fellas, you can't be afraid to go for it on fourth down. 
Um, I think if there's anything Zach Taylor can take from these most recent games, it's that Brandon Staley was right. They just <laughs> didn't execute. Uh, you know, the Chargers scored uh, enough points, I thought, to win that game. And then Mahomes went into his most nuclear version this season. <laughs> but there's a reason why the Chargers went for it on fourth down. Um, they had a fourth and nine, I believe, in the first matchup that they converted via a penalty. And that led to their success and um, winning that game late in Arrowhead. And if you're the Bengals, try to find a way to get turnovers, have full belief in your quarterback, even though the defense has gotten better for the Chiefs, and not be afraid if it's fourth and goal from the three to just line it up and go for it. Um, the way the offense on the Chiefs is sort of operating right now, um, I don't think running the ball necessarily is going to equate to winning unless those runs end up in, in, in the end zone. Like it's just, it's, it's weird how the game and the, and the, and the sport goes in cycles, but I get the sense that everything that was true at the start of the year is true. Now get 35, <laughs> pray for some turnovers and don't be afraid. Like the coaching staff cannot be afraid um, to show some of their best plays all year to um, give the players the opportunity to move the fault, you know, move the football in four chances instead of three. Um, and if you're the if you're the kicker for the Bengals, just like you only need that guy if it's a tie game late in the fourth <laughs> quarter. It's the only time you need him. You should be going for it um, as many chances as you can uh, to score as many points because that's what's necessary. It's funny you mentioned that because, I mean, Zach has been very aggressive on fourth down mm-hmm. since he got here. And over the last two seasons, the Bengals ranked third in the league in fourth down conversion success. So they they have been able to – his first year here it was more about they were losing by so much he had no choice but to go for it. But it's it's been a lot more of that analytic-based thing the last couple of years, and they've been really good on fourth downs. Um, and speaking that, I want to ask you about the Chiefs' defense because – you see the numbers, but I was curious about how they came about. First of all, 28 takeaways, tie, or that's third in the league. The interesting thing there, there's nine different guys have interceptions and 10 different guys have fumble reco- recoveries. It's just happening everywhere. The, the thing I wanted to ask you is that the fumble recoveries, are they stripping wide receivers or are they punching the ball out from running backs? Because that doesn't happen a lot. And then something Paul and I mentioned earlier is, is how many of these turnovers – are coming late in games once the Chiefs get the lead and kind of force the opponent into must-pass situations. Uh, yes, it's, hmm. it's it's wonderful how you set all that up. Um, they preach turnovers. Uh, I think this is what makes Steve Spagnuolo a really good coach. Um, you know, he's the only defensive coordinator in the NFL's history who's won a Super Bowl with two different franchises. Obviously, the Giants and hmm. the Chiefs. Um, and what's different about this time for Spagnuolo is he can always look on the other side and say, oh, I can trust Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Now it's about momentum plays. Now it's about uh, trying to get the ball back to the offense as soon as possible. Uh, And so he's really coached those guys um, when they're healthy, when they're playing as a collective unit to go get the ball as often as possible, right? We're comfortable rallying to the football, but then somebody in that rally needs to either be punching it, as you mentioned, Jay, uh, and that's usually the cornerbacks, interestingly enough, um, Mm. It's not necessarily the linebackers. It's, it's the guys in the secondary who are more aggressive about, okay, I see the ball carrier having it. Uh, Mike Hughes was the defensive player of the week a few weeks ago when the Chiefs 
uh, destroyed the Raiders. And he he looked at Zay Jones, unfortunately, and was like, you think I'm going to tackle you, but I'm not. I'm going to I'm going to punch the ball because, A, we have a lead and B, if we get this turnover, uh, it's going to do so much for our offense. It's going to give us so much confidence. And it obviously uh, stops a drive and kickstarts another. From the secondary perspective, uh, Tyron Matthew is excellent. It will be fascinating to know where he is because he's moving all the time in pre-snap alignments. Um, It'll be fun for Joe Burrow, these LSU guys Mm. who have never played against one another but clearly have a pretty good relationship uh, to see how smart or how they can try to outsmart one another. Um, With the interceptions, some of it comes on pressure. And some of it comes on, they have gotten really, really good at just being skilled with the ball in the air. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Steelers ran what was a very unorthodox flea flicker last week. I don't know if you guys (laughs) saw this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But Traverius Ward was never was never full and was like, oh, this is a jump ball. And and just like immediately uh, you could kind of see his excitement on film about getting the chance to to get that interception. Tyron Matthews excellent in the middle of the field. One thing that the Chiefs have started to do is they started to flip roles. And this is, again, Steve Spagnuolo sort of um, trying to trick the offense where, hey, Tyron Matthews, kind of that center fielder, kind of comes down in zones. He's looking at the quarterback. He can just read that quarterback's eyes and sort of freelance a little bit. Well, Teddy Bridgewater is obviously a veteran quarterback. um, And one reason Teddy Bridgewater was throwing to Chiefs defenders was because oh, now Tyron Matthews, the center fielder in the deep part of the zone, and now Juan Thornhill, well, they're switching woes. Well, that, that's, not, that's not what they showed on film. So Spagnuolo is adding a wrinkle here, a wrinkle there with each week. Um, the Chiefs are just tackling at a way better level than they were early in the year, and they are taught to go get the football. Um, if it's Chris Jones, uh, a Pro Bowl defensive tackle, if it's Frank Clark, if it's Melvin Ingram, they're going to try to strip shack you, not just tackle you and bring you to the ground because they know the moment they get the ball back to the offense, Mahomes usually translates that into points, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal. And all of a sudden, maybe a seven point lead is a 10 point lead or a 14 point lead. And it has this snowball effect that um, you can kind of see teams being like, oh, this is this is reminding of the old Chiefs where you would hang with them for 35 minutes and then mm-hmm. you'd look up five minutes later and now you're down two scores and you're like, but we just, we just made one mistake. And usually that's all it takes um, for the chiefs to sort of pounce on you. I wanted to ask too, uh, kind of the, the uh, love affair in free agency was Joe Tooney. All of the Bengal fans wanted them to say, <laughs> he's, he's from near here. He's from Dayton. I'm just wondering how he's played this year. Was, was he as a guard worth that huge investment? Oh, that is that, you know, that's something I haven't thought about lately. Um, in the shirt, in the short term, yes, he he has been worth the investment, um, but they did pay him the most money a left guard has ever received in NFL history. Hmm. Um, but from the chief standpoint, they felt it was necessary because everybody saw what their business, what their biggest weakness was in the Super Bowl last year against the Buccaneers. They had a makeshift offensive line. Patrick Mahomes still had one of the most brilliant performances I've ever seen in a game where the Chiefs only <laughs> scored nine points. Um, but if Patrick Mahomes is the greatest asset this franchise has ever had, which is true, 
he needs as as best protection as the team can sort of provide him. So Brett Veach, the general manager, um, tried to go out and get Trent Williams. That didn't work out. Uh, but they did get Joe Tooney, uh, who's just a consistent machine. Um, he's very robotic in how he just plays. And I say that as a compliment because he's never missed a game in his career. Uh, when the Chiefs were in their swoon, he he fractured his left hand, I believe, um, and continued to play. So uh, he's shown his toughness. He's shown his dedication to his new teammates. Uh, obviously, he learned playing with Tom Brady for all those years in New England when they won championships. Um, and so he's got that pedigree. And he's now really teaching these young guys on the offensive line how to be more consistent. And you're starting to see that translate uh, to an offensive line that really didn't have a problem last week with the Pittsburgh Steelers, even though I think TJ Watt is an absolute stud. And yes, he was playing with cracked ribs. The Steelers never really got that much pressure on Mahomes. Um, you know, they, they drafted a rookie in Creed Humphrey, another rookie in Trey Smith, who's a right guard. Uh, right tackle Lucas Niang is a rookie. He came back from opting out of last year. Uh, and so for Bengals fans, if they wanted uh, Joe Tooney, it makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, I know the Bengals were splurging last year in free agency and look what they've put together, particularly on the mm-hmm. defensive side of the ball. Um, but Joe Tooney has been has been a calm presence and someone who uh, is not a pro bowler and is not getting a lot of attention, I think, nationally, just because the Chiefs have a traded for Orlando Brown and he's a pro bowl left tackle. Uh, coming from the Ravens, which I know Bengals fans obviously remember that guy. And because they have three rookies on the offensive line and then and none of them suck, like they are all <laughs> competent and good. So Joe Tooney kind of gets lost in all of this, um, but he's been really consistent, really good. And for the life of the contract moving forward, obviously that answer may change, Jay. But right now, um, he's been everything the Chiefs have wanted because Mahomes has not had any real injury issues this year. And teams are getting to him less and less as the season goes along because that offensive line is meshing so well. I gotta say, you're gonna send Bengals fans into convulsions here, <laughs> talking about competent rookie offensive line play <laughs> and Joe Tooney, what they've just been screaming about all years. You yeah. watch Joe Burrow. I mean, it, you'll you'll see. You know, you've been watching him on tape, and when you see it live, it's even more impressive. His what people don't understand is he's putting up numbers while taking 47 sacks. Every play is like a pocket presence masterclass, and because he's just he's out there in the middle of traffic throwing for 525 yards, it's it's remarkable. And people are just like, oh, look at Joe Tooney. He's just out there stopping the other guy. It's allowed. <laughs> you can do that. We right. could have had that, right? I mean, it's gonna be people are gonna be going over the cap during the game we still have enough room we could <laughs> it's, 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 uh, yeah it's so funny because the quarterback does so much for the offensive line as the offensive line does for the quarterback and so again if you're a Bengals fan watching the game on Sunday and if your team blitzes Patrick Mahomes that's on y'all like don't ever do it <laughs> but at the same time I do get the sense that defensive coordinators get frustrated because we're not getting pressure with four because this offensive line with Joe Tooney, it's just like they're protecting Patrick Mahomes' blind side really well with Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown. And then the young group on the right side is doing its job too. Um, and obviously Mahomes has this capability. Um, I'll be fascinated, fellas, uh, to see how the Bengals try to double-team Chris Jones 
And if A, that's effective, and B, if that um, leads to some blitz opportunities. Because I understood why the Ravens blitzed Joe Burrow last week. I know some people were like, why are they doing that? It's like, well, they can't cover anybody. So (laughs) you might as well force the issue. But that does show you just how excellent Burrow is about processing, finding the hot route, understanding that I got this much time in the pocket and the clock in his head is is really precise. Um, and then the ball placement is just, it's superb. Um, and so this defense will be tested in a way uh, that they really haven't been since I believe the Chiefs played the Chargers and or the Bills um, early in the year. So this is, this really comes down to the trenches and how, um, how excellent can each quarterback be given the circumstances and, and the time they have to operate with them. Last thing Bengals want to hear is it come or Bengal fans want to hear is it comes down to the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. No, I'm the sorry. Trenches again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Nate, I'm looking forward to seeing you, man. Have a safe trip in. Thank you, fellas. This was a blast. All right, great to catch up with Nate. And I <laughs> there's one quote that I have here underlined. Have full belief in your QB. Yeah. I mean, if only that had only been a storyline here over the last month, will we come out of this game saying that the coach did or did not have full belief in his QB? Did he or did he not go for it in fourth down situations? If only this has been a topic of conversation around here uh, for the last month or so, <laughs> particularly in some of these close games, you really feel like we're going to be revisiting that topic uh, sometime on the walkout. I mean, you can kind of see why you might not have full confidence in your QB if if he leads the league in interceptions like Joe Burrow does. But Patrick Mahomes just one behind with 13, Burrow with 14. And yes, that's the trust the QB thing. I mean, it feels like this game could come down to that. It, uh, they may be in a similar position um, where maybe we see if, if Zach learned from the San Francisco game. And Burrow hasn't thrown a pick in three weeks, and and yeah. and also, I mean, really has been great with the ball since the bye. So much of that, I think, the interception number came early and was high mm-hmm. because of some luck stuff. But really, when you when you look at actually like turnovers that are his fault, interceptions that are his fault, it's hard to find too many outside of the one he forced at the end of the Chargers game since the buys happened. So you know, you're if you don't have trust in him now. Uh, I don't know when you will. So we'll keep an eye on that. Some really, I thought some really interesting strategic stuff there from how you do approach this Kansas City team from somebody who's seen it go sideways against pretty much all methods. So let's talk about it. How do you beat Kansas City? How should this Bengals team beat Kansas City? We've talked about them having multiple ways to win. Is it aired out? Is it, is it, Joe Burrow game? Is it trying to, you're not going to throw for 525? Uh, In fact, you might not even throw for 300, but is it focusing on him in the passing game? Or are you trying to replicate the AFC West success of the Vegas game, the Denver game, these grinders, and you take points when you can get them, and you run the ball, and the dam will break, and play good defense? You know, I we talked about how they they've found success in the grinder game, they've maybe found some personality in the grinder game. I just don't think you can put Kansas City in the same bucket. I don't have a problem with run, uh, uh, you know, run distribution um, that's fairly even, especially on first downs. Keep yourself out of 
third and long as much as possible where Chris Jones is going to just annihilate whoever he runs in front of there. I, I, I get all that, and I think that's going to be very relevant this week. Um, but I do also think it has to be more aggressive uh, in throwing it a little bit more and particularly on, like you said, the fourth down, the third down situations, the going for it's um, – than we saw in in those games. Because I don't think you're as scared of this Kansas City defense, as, certainly as you were of Denver. No. I mean, initially at the start of the week, I was thinking that that would be the plan is to to rely heavily on Joe Mixon, kind of like what I thought they would do last week against Baltimore, and they didn't do. But just to kind of shrink the game a, a little bit and, and give Kansas City fewer possessions, and knowing you have in your back pocket if – if the the run isn't super successful or if Kansas City gets off to a, a, a really fast start and puts you a score or two down, you've got that ability to go back to Joe Burrow and just unleash him. And, and we've seen him be so good in the second half of games. Uh, you don't want to be in that position, but it just it makes sense to to at least test the waters early and see if you can have success. Because if you can, like you said, run it on first down a lot and get into those second and me- mediums, it really opens up the play action. Um, it opens everything up. And it, it it feels we've we've had the the Tyler Boyd game in Denver. You've had the T. Higgins games. You had the Jamar Chase games. You haven't really had that huge, huge Joe Mixon game yet. And, and maybe this is an area where that can kind of open up. I, here's the thing. I have no problem with, you know, less possessions, you know, gives you better opportunity. It, it inevitably is like so many things here. It, it's going to be about efficiency. It, it's going to be about, they don't need volume numbers. You're not going to beat Kansas city with volume numbers. I, I don't think that's it. And you have guys that on many occasions this year have been effective with efficiency. Now, in games, here's some Paul's got stats for you, Jay. <laughs> In games where Mixon has just better than four yards per carry, the Bengals are seven and one. This is not a volume stat. This isn't. This isn't about a hundred yards or this is that dumb stuff that's stupid that really shows winning. And and when he has less than four yards per carry, they're two and five. In games where Burrow has better than seven point seven five yards per attempt, they're seven and one. When you have less, has less, they're two and five. You know, the wins against Denver and the Raiders. And they've had multiple games where they've done both. They're undefeated. It's about efficiency. And that goes against Kansas City or Pittsburgh or Detroit or anybody. And and so I think a lot of people are going to say, let Burrow cook and throw it around. It doesn't matter if Burrow throws it 24 times because we've seen him have great games where he doesn't have a lot of throws, but he averages 10.24 yards per attempt. You know, the first Pittsburgh game, he throws it 18 times, but he averages damn near 10 yards per attempt, and they're in control the whole time. You, you, you You can do that, and I think that should be where the focus is. What puts you in the most advantageous situations for Burrow to be efficient. And I think that is mostly not creating situations where the Chiefs know you're throwing it. And we've seen that be a big part of the Bengals' strategy that's been criticized for running too much. 
of trying to mask their offensive line. I think I think that's probably where you see them land come Sunday. Yeah, and the, the one thing that really going to be interesting to see because if they are putting Burrow back there a lot, the Chiefs are are eighth in blitz percentage and sixth in pressures. Now they don't have a lot of sacks, but you don't have to get home to affect the quarterback. And Burrow's been so good against the blitz. It's going to be interesting to see kind of what Nate was talking about with Spagnolo. Is he going to come after him or not? Is he going to is he going to take the, the the Baltimore tact and come after him? Baltimore didn't have anybody that could cover. They didn't really have a choice. The Chiefs do, and, and the Chiefs thrive on on these turnovers. They, seven straight games with multiple turnovers, longest streak in the league, and ten out of fifteen games this year they forced multiple turnovers. Part of the the run of success for the Bengals, they, they they're not Burrow's not throwing it throwing interceptions. Nobody's fumbling. The, the the last couple games, no turnovers. That's where that's what this game's going to come down to, and it just feels like that's where, it, even though the Chiefs get so many late in games when they've got the lead, that's where they're thriving is 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 turning teams over, and I, I it just you, you feel safer with with a lot of runs for Joe Mixon as opposed to dropping Joe Burrow back there quite a bit and exposing him to that Chiefs pass rush. In going back and, and watching games against the Chiefs, I like almost vomited trying to watch like five <laughs> minutes of the Steelers offense. It's like I can't. He, he mentioned uh, unorthodox flea flicker. What, what if the whole offense is unorthodox? It all looks ugly. As I threw that, throw that out. You know, there's some of these games against Chiefs. You throw them out. But go back and watch the Chargers game, the Dallas game, teams with weapons, teams that, you know, Dallas moved the ball, but they turned it over and they were crap in the red zone. You know, they lose 19 to nine. Their defense did a decent job, uh, but they kicked short field goals and and they had a fumble and Prescott had two picks and and that was that. And the Chargers, they made it to the red zone seven times. They were four of seven, and most notably, you know, they didn't come away with anything on a few of those because of the fourth downs. I do think that Nate's right. Brandon Staley was right that you do need to be aggressive there, and that is how you beat the Chiefs. You don't settle when you get down there and goal to go. But understand that's how they're beating teams. He's exactly right. They're going to trust their red zone defense, which is one of the best in the league, to hold you to three while Mahomes gets seven. So, you know, me, when I look at three thresholds to win, when you when you go back and look through how teams have been competitive and what has fallen, what has gone wrong for teams that are have similar builds, similar roster builds as, as the Bengals do in this against KC in this win streak, that's what it is. It's you got to be plus in the turnover battle, which you mentioned. You need to be at least 50%, if not probably better, in the red zone. And I, I think you've got to be better than four to four and a half yards per carry on first and second down to keep yourself from second and 10, third and nine over and over again. The Chiefs have been successful. If they have a weakness, part of the weakness has been they have given up rushing yards. They, mm-hmm. they, you've been, teams have been able to run on them, particularly on first downs. They're one of the worst of the leagues in that. They're their bottom bottom three of the league in yards per rush on first down. You know, teams can run and get themselves into manageable situations if you can do that successfully. I believe that. I don't. I think if you do that, Burrow makes his money. I think it's a matter of if you can put yourself in those situations often enough. I don't think Burrow is the variable. I think we know what Burrow will be when given clean pockets and the right opportunities. But 
I don't know that they'll be able to give him clean pockets or the right opportunities on third and eight and third and nine. And so I think that's going to be really important here along with those other three. Those are my three. If they do all three of those, they're plus in the turnover battle. If they're better than 50% in the red zone and they're better than 4.5 yards per carry on first and second down, I they should win the game. They should win the game. I think you can even live live with being equal in the turnover battle. It would help sure. to be plus. Sure. But yeah, just just don't be negative. And that's you, you wonder. Joe Mixon does not fumble. He had the one this year that everybody saw against the Chargers, but he doesn't fumble. But you wonder about, you know, the the balls going off of receivers' hands, specifically Jamar Chase. He has had these drop issues. That's where this Chiefs defense can can really pick you apart. They are not going to let those balls hit the ground. And the same thing goes for the Bengals defense because a lot of Mahomes' interceptions have hit receivers in hands and been gone off the receiver's hands right to a defender. And they've cleaned that up a little bit, but it was it was happening a lot early midseason. And that's somewhere where if the Bengals are going to go one linebacker, they're going to put a bunch more DBs out there. Same thing. If if a ball is batted at the line of scrimmage or goes off a receiver's hands, they've got to find a way to come up with it and flip that field. And they've the Bengals have since the bye, they they aren't Chiefs level, but they are taking the ball away a lot more um after the bye. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think those are kind of some of your your keys to really watch here, and we'll we'll see how they play out. And, and as we saw with the charge game, I mean, it can go sideways in a hurry, man. Like and against them against Mahomes, you can feel like you've got them, and then all of a sudden it's over, uh, and they've they've flipped the script on you. So that that um, is certainly in play here. Let's get down to the nitty gritty, Jay. Uh, growler, run, pass, or boot? Prediction time. Before we get to predictions, Growler. All right, last week we had four prongs. This week just two prongs. Calming it down, easing our prong, all right? Here's where we're going to go. The first prong to get you into the dance, to even get entrance to the concert at the Hamilton BP, (laughs) you need to correctly predict the total number of Bengals turnovers. First number, if you don't get that right, you're out. If you get that right, you have the ticket to see Rat play at the Hamilton BP. You are in the dance, okay? Then you need to get correct the difference with who is plus between yards per attempt between Joe Burrow, who leads the league in that stat, and Patrick Mahomes, who is 10th but obviously has been incredible there uh, for his career and lately. So, Difference in yards per attempt, who's plus, who's minus, Burrow versus Mahomes, if you got the ticket to see Rad at the Hamilton BP uh, via correctly predicting total Bengals turnovers. Hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter, or send me an email, pdaner at theathletic.com. Delicious 50 West beer could be yours. Could be yours if you get it right. So when we say Bengals turnovers, we're talking about giveaways, correct? Not turnovers forced by the defense. Bengals giveaways. giveaways. Bengals interception by Joe Burrow, fumble by Trent Taylor, uh, you name it. Um, Total giveaways by the Bengals. Okay. It's going to be the same number as good songs by Rat. Two. (laughs) How many? (laughs) Two. Two? (laughs) Hey, you gave them two. Uh, Yeah, I did. Um and then I will go Patrick Mahomes 
uh, with the edge in yards per attempt by 2.2. Quite a bit. Mahomes by 2.2? Mm-hmm. Okay. I will say, I will also say, I also had two. I'm not going to venture off of that. So we'll both be entering the dance via the same door. Um, I will say Burrow by 1.3. Okay. Wow. Run, pass, or boot, Jay, as we get closer to our prediction, we'll kind of get in and start tipping our hands here. Run, pass, or boot. Bengals win. Bengals cover. Five and a half is the number at the moment via BetMGM. Chiefs win by more than a score, so nine or more. Bengals win. Bengals cover. Chiefs win by more than a score. Run, pass, or boot. Yeah, I'm not going to make people happy with this, but I'm I'm going to I'm going to run with Chiefs by nine plus. Wow. I just. I just feel it's more likely. Um, I'll, I'll I'll pass on the Bengals covering and I'll boot the Bengals winning. It's just kind of a – until they show me they can win three in a row, I, I can't bet on it. I can't run pass or boot on it. I'm not saying it can't happen, but if I'm playing the odds here, I just – I think this one – it might be close for a while, but it, it's it. The Chiefs just will do what they do and just explode in the fourth quarter. Maybe take advantage of one of those two Bengals turnovers and and make it a two possession game instead of a one. Don't forget about the Joe Burrow backdoor cover possibilities here. That's always in play. If such things would happen, I I I, I am going to run with Bengals cover. I I I think they keep it close, or Burrow brings them back to close enough. Um, that I, I like them to cover here. I'm going to run with that. I'm going to pass on Chiefs by more than a score, though. I think the more likely of the other scenarios is the Chiefs running it up um, via turnovers, all those things that Nate talked about, how they've been doing it. And I'll, I'll boot Bengals winning. But again, I mean, I like them to cover. I think they can keep themselves in the mix. I don't think they're there yet. I don't. I, I think I think their flaws are are going to come back to bite them. Their margin for error is much thinner. Doesn't mean they can't win. I just I just think the margin for error is much thinner. All right. So that said, let's get to predictions. Of which, by the way, I'm hot, Jay. I you have are. predicted the correct result five of the last six and three in a row. Wins and losses. So I'm feeling pretty good about my feel for how the games are gonna go, which judging by what you just heard me say. Bengals fans probably don't like that, but you should have known that. You should have known that. <laughs> what do you got, Jay? Before you are ten and five this year, I'm eight and seven. So you've got a you've got a pretty good edge here. Um, I tip my hand on the run passer boot. I just I, I I think there's going to be a whole lot of fun in this game. I think there's going to be a whole lot of action, a whole lot of points. Uh, but I've got Chiefs forty one, Bengals thirty one. Wow. Wow, you are calling for all the action. <laughs> I am. Okay. No faith. In Lu- Luana Rumo is personally offended by your prediction. <laughs> 41 points. Okay. I mean, the Chiefs can do it. There's no secret about that. Yeah. Um, 
I have Chiefs 28, Bengals 24. I think they play it the right way. I think they keep it close. I think you see Burrow have a nice game. I do think they run the ball fairly effectively. I think we'll end up talking like we have in a lot of these close games about a few key decisions or a turnover that end up making the difference. Um, but I, I, I think there will be encouragement to be gained and this is not a moral loss time, certainly not when you're trying to clinch divisions and you're jeopardizing even making the playoffs if you can't win. But I think in the big picture of this season, I, I mentioned it previously and I, I on other podcasts and radio hits this week, I've talked about it. Like, I really do think, go back, if you like historical context, think about it through this lens. Think about the 07 Patriots against the Giants in that last week and the Giants damn near beat them, but they couldn't. Brady to Moss was too good at the end, 38-35. The Super Bowl came around. They met up again. Giants had that confidence. They had that game plan. They, they, they proved they could play with them, and it set up the next time. I don't think the Bengals are there yet, but I think they can prove that they can play with them and set up the next time, whether that next time is in a couple of weeks or whether that next time is next year. Um, I do think they can prove that, and, and that can be a big part of what you get from this. That said, you know, it is – it's it's win a tilt season still too. You 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 lose and you set up having to go to Cleveland and having to have it um, potentially. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out. That's what we got. That's what we got. Uh, a reminder: we'll be back with the walkout after the game on Sunday, and then we'll have the live room uh, at noon on Monday, taking all your questions. If you're a subscriber, you can ask questions. We've been trying to get to as many as we can. We hope they come from Hawaii again because it put me in a good place. Uh, but um, We'll have that coming up after the game against the Chiefs and leading into week 18. We are almost there, folks. We're, we're almost to the end. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you One last reminder, if you want to subscribe, the deal runs until you blow those little popper things and kiss your honey at midnight. Once you do that, the deal's gone. Kiss it goodbye. Uh, $24 for the next 12 months for the athletics to run to the end of the year so get it now or lose it 2022 shows up he's gone thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time on the podcast crowd.